Thank you. It's always a, a joy, a personal joy and blessing to, to, to be here and to share. I always love coming back. Uh, your pastor, uh, your staff, your pastoral staff, anytime I get to connect with them, they're such an encouragement uh, to me and they build me up in, in the spirit. And, and I love that and I believe it's contagious. And I, I just can't help but believe that it flows out of them and onto you as well. And you're contagious. You're an encourager to those that you come across. And, and I hope so because we have a light. And a light shines in darkness, amen? People ask all the time, they say, uh, you know, it's just something we say. How are you doing? How you doing? And I really can't uh, help but I, I just respond often, and it, it's more than a tagline for me. I, I always say, way better than I deserve, I promise you that. Way better than I deserve. I don't know about you, but I deserve death, and Jesus gave me life. I deserve judgment, and Jesus gave me mercy. I deserved wrath, and God gave me love. I mean, just on and on. I could, you, you know, you just stand in, in His presence, and, and the closer that you get to Him, oh, we have it good. We have it good. Not because we are good, but because our Father deemed us good through Christ who dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. And so we have it. We are way better than we deserve. I... Um, I just want to continue to echo in the spirit in which you've been ministering and, and, and to say, uh, let me share this with you just because I know you're, you're going to be excited with me. There was a girl who was, um, she ended up being trapped in a brothel. She went into the city to work. She needed to provide for her family. Her dad had died and, and she needed to help provide for her siblings and she thought that she was going to be serving drinks and food and that's like all the work that she could she could find. It's in a country where they don't allow a lot of opportunities to females. They, they look down on them. They don't see them as an image bearer of our king. And Boy, I could go off on that. Uh, and, and anyway, it, it's, what she, it's all that she could find and have available, and she desperately see if she doesn't work, her, her siblings aren't going to eat. And it turned out to be not what she thought. And they tricked her and they trapped her. And one night she was crying out, and she said, God, send me an angel. And that very night, she called out, in that very night, a rescue agent shows up. And he's sitting with her. And he says, what kind of music are you into? So we have to find ways to kind of make a connection into Bond, right? And figure out how to get the conversation started to get them to open up so we can learn information about them and try to use the skills that we've been trained with to understand if, if they're there by choice, if they're a minor, and on and on. So we just started off with, what kind of music are you into? She says... Uh, I like church music. And he's, well, that's interesting. I've never had anyone answer that to me. Uh, tell me, wh what do you like about church music? Or what do you connect with in church music? She says, well, growing up, we would always go to church. And we would sing the songs. And, and they just, they filled my heart with love. And they gave me strength. And I just longed to be back in my church singing those songs. He says, we can do that tonight. She left with our rescue agent. He rescued her out of there. Today she's finishing college. Today she's a worship leader in her church. Today she's teaching children how to be strong and smart and follow Jesus. That's the rescue our God brings. Amen? So, I love applauding Christ. I'm telling you, I have a lot to be thankful for. I am way better than... I, God is so good. God is so good. Maybe some of you aren't familiar with Destiny Rescue. We are an international Christian nonprofit organization. We go into the darkest places around the planet Earth, and we're looking for kids. 
who are being exploited, having their innocence robbed, being tricked and trapped and enslaved, and we work to rescue them out. But it's not enough to rescue them out of location, vocation. We want to restore them. We want to partner with Christ to restore them so that they have the opportunity for His preferred future for their life. And so whatever it takes, every child is unique and so is her aftercare. We will talk more about that. I, um, I, I want to ask uh, this question. Do you believe that God has something to say tonight? Do you believe that God has something to say to us tonight? Would you even go as far to say God has something to say to me tonight? Because I've come not just to, not to talk about a ministry and to tout all that God is doing through Destiny Rescue, but I have come with His Word to say, what is He saying to us, His church? And I believe He has something to say to us that is hopefully fresh and relevant and specific. Not just to us as a people, not just to you as a church, but to you individually. I believe he has something. See, I understand. I believe this with, with, with all my heart. That even as we were going through worship, I, would just, I could see it in the uh, sprinkle through the words in between the lines. I believe this. My posture determines the power he's going to release in my position. My posture, how I posture myself in the presence of God is going to determine the amount of of power he's going to put in me and through me no matter what position I'm in whether it's a position at work whether it's a position with my family whether it's a position in my ministry whether it's a position in my habits whether it's a position in my attitude whatever it is whether whatever position I have against my enemy or my enemy has against me my posture in worship determines the power he's going to release in me and through me in my position for His glory and others' benefit. So I hope that as we move beyond kind of worship through song and we worship in the Word, that we would put ourselves in a posture that would enable or invite the Holy Spirit to release His power so that where we are in our position, we will find His freedom and presence for all that He has in store for us. This... Um, this past year has been an amazing year and you have partnered. You, your church, as you have given and your church gives uh, to the ministry of Destiny Rescue, you have been a partner in the work that God is doing, not only across the street but around the world, especially when it comes to freeing children. Last year we celebrated with 1,426 survivors being freed out of trafficking. <clears throat> we, we executed 52 raids that resulted in 102 arrests and 60 operations closed down. Already this year, 172 have found freedom. And so it's the work of your prayer, it's the work of your generosity, it's, it's the work of your kingdom partnership that we're able to see this and celebrate with this. But I want to talk to you this evening about being a grave clothes remover. A grave clothes remover. And I, it's real easy to see it in, in, the, in the ministry that I'm a part of, but I think it's real personal to us as well. So grave clothes remover. If you have your Bible or if you use a digital Bible, please uh, uh, open it up to uh, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. 
In John chapter 11, it's a familiar story. It's the death of Lazarus. And we, and, and we know that um, word had been sent to Jesus and he intentionally delays his, his coming. And he was waiting. We learned that he was waiting for Lazarus to die. He wanted to show the power of the, that, he wa, that he is the resurrection. And so after he knew that he had been long dead, then he begins to make his journey and upon um, Martha, upon seeing him from a distance, came running after him. John chapter 11. I'm not going to read all of it, but maybe if we would start at verse 20. And I will go through uh, verse 27 and then we'll, we'll go to another verse. In verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection. I know he will rise again in the resurrection. You heard it. I know He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. You see, it's not an event, it's a person. It's not a day coming, it's a day now. I am, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I want to pause right there. Martha comes to Jesus and she's basically saying, yeah, 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 I get it. I know, in, in a day to come, in eternity to come, in an eternal life, he will rise again. But Jesus didn't ask her, do you believe right things about me? He said, do you believe me? He didn't ask, do you believe right things about me? He says, do you believe in me? And I think for a lot of us, we can believe right things about God, but we're not believing in Him now. He's, he's not looking for a people who believe the right things about Him. He's looking for a people who believe Him. They put their weight on Him. God isn't just looking for a people that believes that He exists but He's looking for a people who base their existence upon Him. God wants to give you the quality of His love, the quality of His life, His joy, His peace, His freedom. He wants to give you Himself. Go with me to uh, uh, verse 39. I'll start at 38. Maybe it's easier here. Jesus, once more. So, so uh, Martha had this conversation. Uh, she goes back and she gets Mary and says, hey, Jesus wants to talk to you. And Mary comes and they have a bit of a conversation. And then Jesus begins to move toward 
the tomb. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you? Didn't I tell you? That if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you. You have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for their benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Heavenly Father, in your word there is truth. And it's not about a truth of yesterday or a truth just for tomorrow. It's a truth for all time. It's a truth for today and it's a truth for tomorrow. Help us. Help us, Holy Spirit. You were promised that you would come and that you would lead us into all truth, that you would reveal the words of the Father through this. Would you be present? And to help us see where we find ourselves in the story and what it is that you want for us as a people and as a person. Keep us in a posture, Holy Spirit, to receive your power that we might walk out without grave clothes. In Jesus' name, amen. Lazarus was alive. Even though God had done something amazing on the inside. You've got to get the, the kind of, if you, you got to uh, picture it in your head. He was dead. Jesus brought his life inside him and he set up and he stood up and he's still bound on the outside. The inside is free. The inside is alive. But he has grave clothes wrapped around him on the outside and, and, and he managed to come out. And he looks at them. And he's telling them to remove his grave clothes so that he could experience the fullness of what God had for him. Now, I'm going to let that resonate just a little bit. I want that to marinate. Um, Lazarus is dead. Jesus calls life into him. And in his wrappings, he still has a face cloth on. I should have done this. I should have just brought a bunch of toilet paper, brought someone up on stage to show it to you. And, and we should have just wrapped somebody in tight. He still has wrappings around his face and around his body. And somehow he will get there. And he points, like all the people who, who's seeing him come out. And, and, and Jesus says, well, go to him and take off his grave clothes. I don't know how you would respond. I, I put myself in that position and uh, 
It could go either way. I, I, my, my mouth is probably still hung open going, what just happened? Let me pause here and say, you have been, whether you realize it or not, you have been a grave clothes remover for kids who have been rescued out of sex trafficking. You have not just helped rescue them out, but you have helped unravel the stink and smell of death. You have helped unravel, unwrap the scenes, the memory, the tools, the places, the people that kept them wrapped in death. You have helped remove them from people that have been rescued. I, I want to tell you uh, in uh, just a few stories, if I could. There's a, a girl named M who right now is about to graduate university and she is on her way to China to be a missionary. That's someone who has come up out of the tomb, taken off her grave clothes, and says, Lord, send me to help others come out. I'll tell you about a girl named Sally that you have helped. Sally has learned that the best way for me to heal is to not only forgive others, but to share my forgiveness with others. So what she does is this. Uh, Sally graduated. She opened up her own bakery. In her bakery, she began to hire exploited and at-risk uh, people in her community. And she did that, so she opened up that business for the sole purpose of providing a good income and a safe place to work for others. Then... She went and she got another job at an ad agency. And she's doing very well. She went to go get the ad agency job so she could save all of that money. She didn't, she didn't want to uh, use it to live on. She saves it. And every month she gathers people in the community that are believers with her. And she goes out into the streets and she sits with the homeless and she gives them food and clothing and tells them about the forgiveness and the hope and the love that she has. You have helped unwrap her grave clothes, and she's going out now and helping others to take off their grave clothes. It's an amazing uh, a partnership. Uh, recently, I was uh, in Nepal, in a, in a, a country uh, very close to Nepal. If you look at it, you'll see where the border is. It's an undisclosed nation for us. We don't get to talk about it out loud. It's a, uh, we are persecuted. The Christian faith is highly perse uh, persecuted there. We have to uh, remain uh, very uh, diligent and vigilant. Uh, to stay undercover of what we're doing in this country. Our lead rescue agent is a pastor. And in this town, and I, I, I just came from here and I was with him, in this town, it's one of the most uh, grossest, uh, evil uh, uh, streets on planet Earth. It really is. It's less than a kilometer long. It has over 300 brothels in it, on it. And each brothel has over 30 girls. And it's, it's um, uh, anyway, he, um, he wanted permission to go in there. You, you, you can't go into these places unless you're participating in, in what they're doing. They don't let you just hang out. So you have to go in um, in the early or late afternoon, early evening. So, but to go in, he needed permission from a brothel owner. So he found out who one of the biggest brothel owners are, and he requested permission to meet with him, and it was granted. So he goes to the house of the brothel owner, 
and he learns that the brothel owner had been uh, laid up in bed for a long time, not being able to move, hasn't been able, uh, out of bed for a long time. And, and he, again, in a country that says you cannot share the gospel, you cannot evangelize, he says, can I pray for you? Can I pray and ask my God to heal you? And the brothel owner says, I'll take any God's power. So the pastor, rescue agent, laid hands on him and prayed on him, and immediately he got out of bed. Immediately got out of bed. And he was shocked. He was dumbfounded. He uh, was just in high revere of this man. He says, what is it that you want? He says, I want access into all your brothels because I want to ensure protection and safety for the girls that night. Now, he, he didn't know what the pastor had in mind. But he said, you have my blessing. You, you can go. So he began to go into all these brothels and rescue these girls out by the groves. And people were turning him in. It's the pastor you're letting in here. He's sneaking them out. He's rescuing them out. Oh no, he would never do that. He's not that kind of man. Well, in this process, he arrests a brothel manager. He has a brothel manager arrested. While taking her through the judiciary process, he leads her to Christ. She gets saved. She says, Pastor, I have a building. I've, I've been in it. I've sat in it. I have a building that is used to house and hide girls to prepare them for the brothel. I no longer want this building used for that. Do with it what you will under one condition. You rescue my daughter out. So he goes into the brothel and he finds the daughter and he rescues her out and he, and he takes her to mom and she shares her testimony and she comes to Christ. She says, you can have the building, do with it what you want. So he puts a word out through this region where 99% of females are sex workers. And he says, we're going to open it up for a night of prayer. 150 girls show up. So he starts his third church. I was sharing in their church service. It's absolutely beautiful. While I was there, I see this man, and, and there's not a lot of guys in this church, and and, and anyway, he had just a different look about him. And so I asked him, I said, how, how did you come to this church and how do you know the pastor? He said, one night I came in because I, uh, he was a trafficker. He says, I used to bring girls here. And I came looking for my girls and they weren't at work and they were, I was uh, told that they were in this building uh, having church and so I came for them to put them back to work. And the pastor greeted me and asked me what it is that he needed from me. And he, I told him I was looking for my girls and he said, well, how can I pray for you first? He says, I told him I had a tumor. And he asked to pray for me and I said, yes. And he prayed for me and the tumor was healed. And he started crying. He says, all I knew to do was say, Pastor, what do I do now? And he, said, he told me, quit trafficking girls. Open up a business to help them and help me disciple these believers. So that's what he does. He now has a leading retail shop in that country. And he has come to Christ and he has learned under the pastor and he is helping to disciple other girls, taking off the... None of that happens. If you're not ensuring, if you're not partnering with us to make sure rescue stays relentless, because if we don't find them, someone will. This is just incredible. We had, as we talk about the grave clothes, there was a girl that was rescued, and we took her back to her village. Um, and, and she didn't have a lot of family there, but she had some, and we asked uh, the, the priest of a monastery that was there. It was the only church in the village, and so we connected with the priest, and we said, would you help ensure the safety of this girl that she wouldn't be exploited, and would you also come alongside the family? Sure I will. Our pastor rescue agent goes back several months later, wanted to check on the, on the girl and see how she's doing. Asked the priest, how is she? 
Oh, very well, very well, Pastor. I have her living in our mon- in the basement of our monastery. W- w- what do you mean, in the basement of the monastery? Oh, we want to protect her. You see, what she has done has brought shame on herself and her family name and to our village, and I fear what they will do for her, so I hide her in the basement of our monastery. And the pastor says, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. She has been born again. The shame is not on her, but on you for realizing that God is indwelling in her and you should be standing up for her, taking her to the village, letting them know that she is a child of the king and that she, should be, that she has been bought back and that she should be well received. Boy, the pastor got under conviction. He says, the priest, he says, I am sorry. And he began to repent to God. He took the girl by the hand, took her out in the village, called everybody out. God has restored her name. Accept her now. She's living thriving. She no longer has grave clothes on. You ever had grave clothes on? You know what grave clothes feel like? Like I, I know it. We fake it till we make it a lot. I've pastored for 20 years. I've wore grave clothes. had the grave clothes of people pressure. I've had the grave clothes of feeling like I'm not enough as a man, as a husband, as a dad. I've had the grave clothes of, if you're a Christ follower, why, why would you act that way? Why would that stuff still, you know, why, do you, why is there guilt? Why is there shame? Why do you get depressed? If Jesus is really your king, why do you battle depression? If you really follow Jesus, you wouldn't have that stuff. Now, none of you probably have any of that going on. It just happens in a land far, far away where I live. But I know what it, Do you know what it's like to wear grave clothes? I remember walking in. I went back to North Carolina where I had lived for a while before I had uh, rededicated my life to Christ and started following him. And I walked, back, I walked into a store, and, and this uh, guy from my former way of living saw me. He says, Jason, what the... You been doing? I said, you're not going to believe it, man, but I'm a pastor now. I've given my life to Jesus, and it's been the best thing for my family, and I've been following him and trying to figure out what it means to, to, to live all my days for him. And, and in the middle of the store with a lot of people, you got to be, and just kidding me, you, and he pointed, you, started laughing real loud, drew a crowd. You know what happened immediately? Grave clothes began to come up on me. That's right. Who, who do I think I am? Why would God even have good for me? I have to go back and i got to remember when he called me up out of that grave and he called me by my name and, and he says, now take off his grave clothes. Someone has to testify with that tonight. Do you know what it's like to have grave clothes on? And they come back. This is what God has called us to. There are people still wearing grave clothes. What if, what if when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Can we go back to that? What if when re, uh, uh, Jesus called Lazarus from the dead, and you, yeah, is it still in, your, still in your, your mental picture? Like somehow he didn't just levitate and float and then land on the ground. It, 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 it wasn't like a remote control kind of airplane or something, you know, and Jesus just kind of like, mm, and just didn't do that. I mean, I try to picture it. He was bound. Do you understand? Bound. Say bound. 
He was bound. And I picture Lazarus kind of going, I don't know how else he got up. I don't know how he got up out of the tomb and came out. And Jesus looks to the crowd. And he says, you, take off his grave clothes. What if they would have said no? What if in your spiritual formation as, as Christ dwelling in you and the Holy Spirit conforming you to the image of the Son? What if those that had seen the resurrection life in you and as you're wanting to walk out of your tomb and walk out of those grave clothes, what if the church would have looked at you and said, no, live in it. Live in it. But sometimes I think we're scared to talk about the grave clothes that we have on because we don't know if there are those around us to help us take it off. Jesus is still saying, come forth. And he's still calling a community to come forward and help. One time Jesus was walking through a crowded town and there were thousands around. And, and, and there, were, there were a lot of people he could have eaten with. Pharisees and Sadducees and all kinds of important leaders, rich people. But he happened to see a, a, a wee little man. Now you know who I'm talking about, right? Wee little man. If you grew up in vacation Bible school, you know who I'm talking about. Wee little man. He happened to see Zacchaeus who had climbed up in a tree, and he was a horrible man. He was a liar, a cheat, a scoundrel. He was a tax collector. You know in the Bible there are two, like two groups. They, they often, in the Bible you get these two categories of sinners. There's sinners and tax collectors. Like they're so bad they have a category all on their own. I can relate. And he, and he sees him. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to go to your house because he didn't see him who he was. He saw him who he was going to be. He saw him that he would be an honorable man, that he would be a man of integrity, that he would be a man of truth. He saw him out of the tomb, out of the grave clothes, and who God had destined him to be, and he was calling him out in front of everyone to see, and he was modeling how I'm going to help him take off grave clothes. You know, there was a, there was a prophet, a young prophet in the Old Testament named Hosea. And Hosea was single at the time, and he was incredibly intelligent and had wisdom and discernment, and people would come from all around to see him. You know, like people treat you. They come from everywhere to get your advice. You're smart. That's how they would treat him. And, and, and God, he knew, you know, he knew that he um, would have a wife one day. He wanted to be married. Well, God tells him, I, I have a bride for you, and her name is Gomer. Hosea. He could have worried about the reputation because she wasn't an honorable woman. He could have worried about a lot of things, but he went and he married her. And he fell in love and it began. It started off well. They enjoyed time together. They had a son together. Well, then uh, Hosea would go out and do ministry and Gomer didn't understand the calling on his life. And so as she would stay back, she began to fall back into the old ways and, and she uh, began to... Um, you know, she had three sons that were not uh, Hosea's. And eventually, Hosea come home one day, and Gomer was gone, left a note. I'm gone. I'm leaving you. Crushed Hosea. Years later, years later, he overheard from the town gossip. Now, I don't think towns still gossip, do they? But back then they did. And... um 
he overheard through the town gossip that Gomer wasn't doing well and that she was being put up on the auction block to be sold. And God says, Hosea, go get her. Go get her. And so he goes and he goes into the town and, and he, finds, um, he finds Gomer. And her, her shoulders are down and her, head are, her, her head's down and her hair's disheveled and she's bruised and she's dirty and you can just tell life's not been good for her. She's shackled. And he whispers in her ear, Gomer, it's me. I've come for you. So he goes to the owner. He says, this is my wife. I'm taking her home. He says, no, you're not. I own her, and I'm going to sell her. And so he took out some barley loaves and took out um, uh, some 15 shekels. Now, I, I, apparently that's a pretty, pretty good price, but that's, that's what he paid to buy her back, some barley loaves and 15 shekels, and he bought her. And he says, you are coming home with me. You know, I, when we look at this story, Hosea is, is kind of like God, and we are Gomer. We've gone our own way. We, we've turned from the grace of God at some point. We've turned from the love of God. We've turned from the provision of God. We've turned from the presence of God. And our decisions have found us out, and it has reached stuff on us. But God didn't just pay. He did not pay 15 shekels and five barley loaves for us. He paid his blood. It's far precious, far more precious than gold and silver to buy us back. And here's what I'm asking. Could you be a Hosea to somebody? Who, who has God placed in your life that you could be like a Hosea to? This is what I'm learning through Destiny Rescue. I could never afford to pay my rescue. But Jesus has given me a, a, an example to model. And that I can go out. And that I can help people remove their grave clothes. Would you be a Hosea to somebody? Who is it? Who is it that needs a phone call? Who is it that you just kind of, they, they've just been left in their dirt. They've been left in their mess. They've been left in the destruction of their thoughts, their attitudes, their actions, their consequences. And God is calling you. He says, it's time to go get them. Maybe this Easter would be their resurrection. Would you help them take off their grave clothes? What if the crowd would have said, you know, I don't want to get close to him because he stinks. I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't want to touch someone that's been dead. Are you willing to get close to somebody that still smells like death? That's still wrapped in death? Would you say, God, I'm available. My posture determines the power that he wants to release in your position, maybe to bring someone else's freedom. And if I was to turn, and I was to ask this, what about you? What about you? Do you still wrestle with some grave clothes? Eternal life is in you. But if you were to be honest, there's still some death wrapped around you. There's still something around your eyes. It's, it's covering your head. It's, you feel bound. There's still some stuff that creeps up in the back of your head. There's still some stuff that doesn't sit well in the pit of your gut. It, it's, you, you try to outserve your past. You, you try to outlove the pain you've caused. You try to outgive the destruction that you contributed to. I don't know what it is. It's, it's guilt, it's shame, it's other things that kind of come around us, and you're hoping it doesn't catch up with you. 
you hope that you can outrun it, and that, that if, you, if you just stay focused long enough, if you, just, if you just ignore it long enough, it'll go away, but it's an attitude that keeps creeping up. It's a characteristic. It's a habit. It's a, it's a, it's a, a deathly kind of daily routine that's going on. And you're like, that's my grave clothes. Jesus wants to take off your grave clothes. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus still wants to take off grave clothes? Amen. Jesus wants to... Grace goes to unlikely places. Say, I'm grateful. Grace goes to unlikely places. And he finds us there. And he says, I didn't come with guilt and shame and judgment. I came with love and forgiveness and power to call you up out of that because I don't see who you used to be. I see who you are and can be. He wants that for you. Just like he wants it for the girls you're helping to rescue, he wants it for you. Can I remind you, you are a king's kid. You are a king's kid, an image bearer, an ambassador, a saint, a co-heir, and you don't have to do it alone. Jesus is saying, come forth. So I just want to give a moment here. Um, would you practice some vulnerability and, and just forget everybody's around you? And would you close your eyes and just have a conversation with Jesus? And I'm going to pray uh, for us. You join me in your spirit in prayer. Father, all things are laid bare before your sight. You see us for who we really are. It's true. God, I can fool my neighbor for a while. I can fool my parents. I can fool my spouse even for a little while. I can fool my kids. But Lord, you see this stuff that's still hanging on me. That brings guilt and shame and despair and loneliness and regret. It brings fear. It brings things that are not of the kingdom. And I try to fool myself in believing that you don't notice. But in this moment, God, I want to, I just, I want to confess, I know you see me. And I need to know you still love me. And that there is resurrection life for me. And I, I want to take off grave clothes. I want to be free. As your word says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I want the freedom, Lord. Maybe you would uh, even practice here as you're in your posture of prayer. You would begin to identify the deathly habits, the deathly situations, the deathly company, the deathly environments, the, the, the deathly thinking, the deathly beliefs about yourself or others or God, the, the deathly fixations, the things that are not eternal, that are not of the kingdom, that are not God-honoring, these things that are trying to cling to you. Maybe you would begin to know what they are and you would identify them. If there's anyone in that room that says, I have identified it and I want, I want them removed, would you raise your hand a little? Just, would you do that? Would you practice it? I want it removed. Have you identified it? 
Can I tell you that you can't unwrap yourself? God didn't design it that way. You can't do it yourself. Father, as you have uh, encouraged, you've helped people see what it would look like without grave clothes on in their life. You've brought them to a place where they wouldn't deny it, resist it, or try to forget it, but they would acknowledge that there are some things still trying to hang on. Now, Father, I pray that they hear in their spirit to come forth to come forth, that you have life for them, that you have freedom for them. And I pray, Father, that you would give them uh, a trust, that they would share it with their pastor, with their pastoral staff, with maybe a small group leader, uh, an an elder in the church, someone who, who they trust, that would help them unwrap it. Would you give them the courage to be able to ask for that help, even through a text message or just a small way to say, I want to talk. I don't want bound. I pray that you would begin to walk with them in the freedom that you've promised. And that they too would be sent like a Hosea to free others. In Jesus' name.